Be who you are. Dream what you really want to do. Then, do it. Be, dream, do. Living by design. The radio show is focused on people sharing their stories of how they were able to understand what they were really passionate about, had the courage to dream big, and then did it. Now, join the conversation. Good morning, listeners, and welcome back to our weekly radio show where we talk to successful people who love what they do. And I'm very happy to have the Honorable uh, Louis Araneta and uh, friend and fellow Kwanian, retired uh, judge and uh, legal expert. So uh, with that, Louis, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, David. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm more than willing to share a little bit about uh, what I've done and what my history is. If you want me to just kind of talk about um, how I grew up and where how, what got me here, I'll be glad to do so. That's that's wonderful. So you're originally from Tucson, right? Yeah, definitely born born and raised in Tucson. Um, third generation uh, Hispanic American. My um, three of my four grandparents came from Mexico, northern Mexico. Um, my fourth grandparent from my my dad's dad, uh, from whom I got the name, the surname, uh, Areneta, came from the Philippines, actually, as a young boy, uh, brought over by a U.S. Army doctor. So How interesting. He uh, came over to California with a do- with doctor and eventually yeah. made his way down to Arizona where he met my grandmother. They got married, and they had my dad and uh, my two uncles and my um, two other grandparents um, came to Tucson when it was truly the old Pueblo. Right, right. And uh, Tucson um, was actually, uh, the Pueblo itself had the walls to protect against Indian attacks back in those days. That's right. I remember my grandmother saying, uh, when there was a concern about an attack by the Apache Indians, um, the uh, farmers and ranchers would head back into the Pueblo, behind the Pueblo walls for protection. Boy, how interesting. Definitely a different world, yeah. How interesting. So there you are as, as a child in, in Tucson, and where did you go to elementary school there? Um, I actually uh, was born in what they called the Badio down in South 30th Street in uh, Tucson, but I grew up um, in what was then the newer part of Tucson, um, uh, across from what is now the U- University of Arizona Medical School. Right. Um, I went to, to answer your question, I went to a Catholic parochial school called St. Peter and Paul, Mm-hmm. And so did all my siblings. Um, my parents believed in uh, not only the value of an education, but right. the value of a Catholic education right. w- with the uh, uh, strong, disciplined nuns uh, teaching you. Right, 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 so right. That's how it was. And all the values that, that came along with that instruction, I'm sure. Uh, yes, for, for sure. Yeah. Um, it, I'm going to go ahead and just emphasize that my parents... Um, truly emphasized education, they used to say, perhaps like a lot of Hispanic-American um, mm-hmm. uh, parents, uh, we may not leave you with a dime, but we're going to leave you with an education. And, and they were you know, true to their word. They made sure that mm-hmm. um, my four siblings, my brother and my three older sisters, all right. got an education and went to college. And my uh, dad didn't finish college, but um, he uh, emphasized education. And my mom was a traditional post-World War II um, right. housewife, but 
I didn't realize it at the time. She slowly began to take correspondence classes at the university. And when I was like 10 or 11, she actually uh, obtained her degree in education. Uh, she didn't teach uh, outside. Of, she didn't work outside the home teaching, but she, uh, she got her own uh, degree. That's amazing. That's just amazing. So yeah. the, the, the love and focus on education uh, from your parents certainly had an impact on, on your life and the life of your sibling. It did. It, it certainly did. Um, it's uh, kind of uh, interesting that, uh, yes, I went on to Catholic high school uh, okay. in Tucson. Uh, South, which, South, which high school? South Point, South Point. which okay. is yeah. sort of like St. Mary's is right. uh, here in, in the Phoenix area. Um, and, you know, did the crazy things that high school kids do, but sure. for the most part um, kept uh, focused on education. Um, I, I remember, though, that it was pure happenstance, one of my best friends um, on the football team uh, got a scholarship offer from a university called Stanford, and I had never even heard of Stanford. There was a little uh, cubby hole in the corner of our uh, homeroom where catalogs for universities were uh, stored. But I thought, hmm, Stanford, California, uh, maybe I should apply. And And you had a friend going there. uh, Actually, he he turned to... He turned it down <laughs> when when somewhere else on his athletic scholarship, I think. Okay, but um, I applied, and, and lo and behold, I, I got accepted to Stanford and uh, went there uh, right out of law, right out of high school. What is it? I mean, obviously, your friend applying to Stanford was something that that kind of got you moving to, to look at it. But what was it about Stanford that uh, kind of closed the deal for you? Oh well, I mean, not to sound. Um, uh, too humble, but I was planning on going to University of Arizona like all my uh, siblings had. Um, right. Grew up uh, across the street practically from, from uh, the campus, which is now the medical school. Right. And uh, uh, once I um, applied because I thought it would be nice to live away from home sure. uh, and, and go to school in another state, um, I remember the day the envelope from school came. Yeah. And... Uh, I figured it was a big, fat envelope, but my mom saw it, and she was not happy. She did not want me to leave home, but she, but she and my dad were both uh, very pleased that I, I got accepted with a academic scholarship um, to Stanford. And so, the rest was um, history, sort of, as they say. They, right, uh, right. Uh, I, I enjoyed my time there, but as you probably know or remember, Dave, the the late '60s when I was in high school and the early '70s was. Yeah. Huge social change sure. going on. Sure, it was kind of like a social revolution, I, right? At that time, yeah. de- definitely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Moving from the the mid '60s to the early '70s and everything else that came along with that, for sure. Sure. Uh, yeah. Martin Luther King and yeah. Bobby Kennedy, and yeah. um, of course Vietnam came around, and right. and so there were a lot of strong issues that young people could um, choose to get involved in, or or, or to make decisions about. Right, right. How, so how did that impact uh, you personally? Well, it, it, uh, looking back, it really did. Um, yeah. I would walk by my mom, who was a studious watcher of the evening news with Walter Cronkite each evening. Right, right. And she was watching Martin Luther King uh, uh, protesting for uh, rights for African Americans. And she'd say, oh, that man is too impatient. He needs to wait. And I said, mm-hmm. Mom... If not now, when? Uh, right. uh, now's the time to uh, 
allow people to uh, obtain their rights and practice their rights. And mm-hmm. So I had, you know, I had an interesting uh, teenage upbringing with my parents who were wonderful people and they wanted uh, greater rights for all people in society. But at the same time, um, being the young, uh, impatient person I was, I right. wanted change now. Right. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So how did that, uh, how did that impact uh, what you ended up studying? Well, I um, I wasn't a math major or a science major. I I loved history, so I uh, majored in history in in, in college just to see how um, people and governments and societies have operated in the past. And mm-hmm. uh, did I want to teach when I was uh, reaching a decision on what to um, major in? And I yeah. said, well, I major in history, but I did not really want to teach. And law school seemed like a way to um, use my my talents and my interest, uh, so I, I decided to go to law school. So just to help me understand, you talk about your talents and your interests. What were they, and how did they align with uh, being able to live that in practicing law? Sure. It was an evolution, I guess, where um, seeing all the social change and seeing how mm-hmm. things were ultimately, or issues were ultimately decided by uh, our constitution, whether actions and um, rights and positions were protected by the constitution or allowed by the constitution, mm-hmm. um, I realized what better place to um, try to improve society, and that's what I think motivated me. I wanted to do something like most people mm-hmm. to help make society better. And what better place to try to improve society than to practice law? Um, and so I, I, uh, I went to law school. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Sean, what questions do you have here for Louis? Um, so yeah, you're, so you're saying you had a, you you were driven, you were in the society. You really wanted to bring work and make change for society. And um, yeah, would. Would you say that has has been a major part in your um, sort of your drive throughout your entire career a bit? Uh, yeah, yes. Um, I remember um, the law school professor I had who actually um, became sort of my mentor and mentor of the 12 other students he taught in this very small seminar. Um, and it was cutting edge at the time. It was a mm-hmm. clinical class where uh, you were actually filmed questioning and cross-examining witnesses in the courtroom setting, mm. and then uh, you, you saw yourself on the film afterwards, and he, your, the professor, would critique us as to what we did and how we could improve, etc. Um, but that professor used to say, you know, we have a system of laws, but um, you need to feed your family, of course, but mm-hmm. you, know, you need to do what you enjoy doing, and... Um, Find an area of law that uh, you can be passionate about, that you enjoy doing, and mm-hmm. and 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 go to it. So I I was really um, fortunate and lucky to have that that professor in my law school career. Mm-hmm. And then um, as as the as your career went on, I know you continued to climb to more responsibilities, and um, and would you say you were it was something that you really wanted to try to achieve, or was it like a with your experience, these things, were, these opportunities were coming up, and you just felt that uh, it would make more sense. Or did you have like really big goals of you know you wanted to achieve certain status within that same field? 
Right. Uh, it's it's more uh, just an incremental step by step process. You you hope to be successful whatever you do, but that's a very very general um, outlook when you're a young uh, law law student or law grad. What I found was uh, that I enjoyed the area of law that put me in the courtroom, uh, which was trial practice and. Um, more often than not, the best way to get trial practice is in the criminal law arena where you can uh, learn to try cases right away mm-hmm. as opposed to civil cases that you basically hold a briefcase for a senior partner on a civil case. But mm-hmm. So I, um, I joined uh, right out of law school the Federal Public Defender Office where I could practice um, trying cases. And once again, I was very fortunate and lucky to have a very good group of seasoned, experienced lawyers in that office who helped me along. Right. And um, uh, the nice thing about that is that I only not only tried the case at the trial level in front of the judge and jury, but I uh, lived with the case because uh, if my client lost and we needed to appeal mm-hmm. the issues before the Ninth Circuit, um, you had to write your own appeal mm-hmm. and uh, raise the issues and um, be aware of what arguments would hopefully prevail for your client uh, in front of the Ninth Circuit. So you uh, kind of you learned at the trial level and you lived with your mistakes for the appellate level as well. Mm-hmm. 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 So it was a wonderful uh, learning opportunity for a new young lawyer right out of law school. Definitely. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, so you you seem curious about uh, trying this courtroom, having this courtroom experience. Uh, you know, when you were right out of when you were right out of law school, and you but you didn't know for sure if you were going to enjoy it. I, I guess until you actually did. But you 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 went out and tried it, and then part you know part of it was that you tried cases and whatnot. And something else you said, Louis, is that you were surrounded by people who were. Uh, very talented, very supportive of you. How how much of an impact did the people around you have on you and 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 the the judge that you ended up becoming? Well, it was more of yes, uh, a support system in the sense that um, I didn't realize it, but uh, the the office had a practice where. Uh, when you tried your first case as a brand new lawyer, they, the supervisor, the boss said, we'll have a senior lawyer uh, <laughs> sit with you. Mm-hmm. Well, the morning came for jury selection, and uh, I look around, and <laughs> where's the senior lawyer? <laughs> and it, they, they basically let you know you, you, you fly on your own, uh-huh. and you, okay. you make your mistakes, and you, and you learn from them. But it was, um, it was a office where uh, lawyers bounce questions off each other all the time. Mm-hmm. Doors were always open to, to go in and, and uh, talk to your colleagues. And uh, probably most importantly, um, my boss, who was um, the, the late uh, Tom O'Toole, uh, mm-hmm. federal public defender for Arizona, uh, he would um, carefully review our appellate briefs uh, for the appeals to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and uh, I thought I was a halfway decent writer, but mm-hmm. he would mark up my drafts of appeals with his red ink, and <laughs> I, was for, I was for sure thinking he'd run out of red ink, but he never did. 
and <laughs> and uh, he he helped make me a better uh, writer in the law. So he, both you know professionally and just in terms of um, camaraderie that we had in that office, mm-hmm. it, it was a top place to to practice law. So you got your law degree at Stanford, and uh, when did you come back to Arizona? Um, I actually uh, came back to Arizona um, right after graduating from law school. Mm -hmm. Uh, I took a slightly convoluted route Mm -hmm. because um, uh, my father had progressive heart disease and had a series of heart attacks, and I... uh, took a year and a half off after my first year of law school after my dad had a serious heart attack and his um, his business, which was a tortilla factory down in Tucson, mm-hmm. uh, suffered a really devastating fire. And so I, um, I took a sabbatical. The people at the law school were very understanding, uh, went back and helped my dad with the family business and mm-hmm. came back a year and a half later to finish law school. Oh. Um, yeah, I wasn't aware of that. That... Uh... How did that? Uh, how did that impact your studies? Uh, well, my dad um, probably thought he saw history repeating itself because my dad, as I said, never finished college. But yeah. my dad helped his dad in um, uh, tending bar. My grandfather was a bartender for the legal tender down in Tucson back in the uh, 30s and 40s, and. Right. Um, he helped my grandfather close the bar at night, at midnight or thereafter. Right. So as a result, my dad would get to class extremely tired and sleepy and mm-hmm. couldn't keep up with his studies. So when I came home, my dad thought, oh, no, you're not going to go back to law school. And I said, no, Dad, I will. I will. Mm-hmm. And I, I really knew I would, but I just um, I did it to help my family, and I did it actually to help myself because I realized I was a little tired of, uh, the strong academics after uh, sure. four years of undergrad and one year of law school, and I right. was I was more than happy to take a break. So, what I what was a challenge uh, turned out to be a, 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 a silver lining to the cloud because mm-hmm. I could just uh, enjoy working at my family business and then uh, recharge my batteries and go to law school after eighteen months. Amazing story. I really appreciate, uh, I'm sure the listeners do too, hearing your, your story and the, the journey that you had to get to law school and, and then going back to Tucson when your family needed you most. Let's take a break here just for a minute and we'll come back and uh, hear some more. All right, Louis? Oh, sounds good. We'll be right back with Be Dream Do, living by design, right after this. Do you know that 85% of people hate their jobs? Yep, that's right. That's what last year's Gallup poll said after surveying millions of employees in 200 countries. Only 15% of those surveyed were truly passionate about the work they did. If you're one of the 85% who don't like their work, we invite you to join us in the Be Dream Do Adventure in Pine, Arizona. It's happening April 14th and 15th. In the adventure, you will explore what is really most important to you who you are and what you want to be known for, how to dream big, and what actions you need to take. For more information, please call 1-866-875-3899 or follow us on Facebook and on Star Worldwide Networks every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Arizona time. Now, back to Be, Dream, Do, Living by Design, with your host, David. So, Louie, uh, thanks for sharing the, the story about how you 
uh, went to Stanford and, and helped your family out. So after helping your family out for a year and a half, you go back to Stanford and you complete your, um, uh, your law degree, and you shared a little bit about well, as soon as you got your law degree, you were able to, um, through trial and error a little bit, with some support from some good people, you were challenged by you know, courtroom scenarios and trying to you know, write, uh, you know, write your uh, cases and whatnot. And um, you had some mentoring also where people would help correct a little bit of the writing and whatnot. Uh, but when did you decide that, that the law profession was really something you really wanted to do? Well, uh, it, it really was progressive, and it wasn't um, an instantaneous type of decision. Uh, I, I was interested in social issues, as I mentioned earlier, in high school and and, in college uh, with the social movements. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I um, basically uh, decided that um, working in the law would give me different avenues to to pursue. But what I found most uh, interesting and and rewarding at the outset was the trial work. And again, uh, it turned out to be criminal trial work. Um, I... uh, happened to join the um, Federal Public Defender Office out of law school, but I just as readily would have joined the uh, U.S. Attorney's or Prosecutor's Office. Um, Both sides do uh, an integral, important Mm -hmm. part of our criminal justice system. Um, It sounds perhaps like a cliche, but our, our system of laws and justice is only as good as the people in it as good as the police officers on the street who right, enforce right. the law, the prosecutors who prosecute their cases, the defense lawyers who defend people, and the judges, uh, the men and women who apply and interpret the laws. Um, and uh, to me, that was uh, what made me so um, uh, happy and interested and passionate to, mm-hmm. to practice law uh, both as a younger lawyer and later on as I um, tried different parts of the law. After um, the Federal Public Defender's Office, I had a friend in that office who had uh, come from a civil firm, and he said, you know, Louis, uh, maybe you want to try civil law. Uh, and I said, well, I haven't tried it. Maybe I, I will. So I, I said uh, adios to my federal defender friends and uh, entered a uh, small commercial law firm that, again, had very good lawyers in it, and uh, they, um, they knew their stuff backwards and forwards. Um, but after a while, I realized representing um, smaller banks and representing uh, shopping center developers and real estate developers, while right. it was, was helpful and important for those clients, it wasn't the same as being in the courtroom. Okay. And I missed being in the courtroom. So mm-hmm. I eventually, <clears throat> after working at a civil practice um, uh, and uh, later for the attorney general's office mm-hmm. uh, doing fair employment law, I decided to go back to uh, practicing uh, defense law at the county public defender office. What is it about the courtroom that really attracted you? Um, it's the place where I think, uh, and I think I know, it's it can be the great equalizer uh, in society. By that I mean, uh, yes, uh, high-dollar clients can, rep- can retain um, uh, 
big law firms and, and big uh, name individual lawyers. But right. when um, a, an issue in the, in, in the criminal area involves guilt or innocence or proving and having the government use its resources uh, to try to prove someone guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, uh, what better uh, way of having a government um, prove itself uh, than to uh, have it meet its standard of truly proving someone guilty beyond a reasonable doubt? And if you're the defense lawyer and you can raise a reasonable doubt in front of a jury of your client's peers, um, then that's how our system is supposed to work. Uh, we hear the statement all the time that democracy is messy. Well, trials can be messy. Right. Not right. that they're, uh, you know, if we wanted to do an efficient trial, we could just submit the police report mm-hmm. and submit computer studies of probabilities, probability um, statistics, and, and be done with it. But that's not what justice is. Justice right. is a jury um, listening and watching mm-hmm. uh, a witness, how that witness uh, maintains his or her body language, mm-hmm. uh, how they keep their eyes on the attorney or avert their eyes, uh, what their me- demeanor and, uh, is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, that area of communication in the courtroom uh, with the judge presiding over uh, how the rules of fairness, which are rules of procedure and right. evidence apply um, is really uh, where the rubber meets the road. And mm-hmm. that's what I really enjoyed the most. Well, it sounds like kind of going back to what you'd shared earlier, your passion around social justice and knowing that uh, from your experience that in the courtroom is where you had the biggest influence over the outcome of that social justice discussion. Uh, yes. And, um, it may seem like, well, it's just one individual case and one individual month of one individual year, but clearly to the people involved, the uh, victim or the defendant, um, it's the most important case of their life. And I always um, uh, try to remember that, especially as a judge later on, after I became a judge uh, Mm -hmm. later in my legal career. But um, the system uh, is available and it's there because uh, people need to resolve their differences in a civil way and not with sticks and stones and guns and knives but mm-hmm. with a rational reasonable um, exchange of, of viewpoints where a neutral party the judge gets to decide and um, what what types of challenges would you have as a you know working as a defendant in that field uh there, yeah. I'm like, sorry. Like day-to-day challenges in the in that job. I'm sorry. The well, the day-to-day challenges were, of course, to um, be as ready and prepared as you can. Uh, one of the uh, summer uh, jobs I had in law school as a um, summer legal intern was with um, the Federal Public Defender Office in San Diego, and the director of that office, a man named John Cleary at the time, said. Remember the five P's, and he said that to me and a small group of law students <laughs> the first day, and maybe you chuckle, Dave, maybe you've heard this before, but the five P's are prior preparation prevents poor performance. Basically, he's saying just always be prepared, do your homework, and, and be ready for whatever you are going to do in the law. And I, uh, it sounds corny maybe, but I uh, 
always try to remember that. Uh, I always wanted to be as ready as I could uh, with my witnesses and um, in knowing the theory of the case that I was putting forward and making sure the facts that I had to work with, you can't really change the facts, but you can change how you present the facts to the jury and the judge, uh, making sure that the facts fit the theory of the case and uh, hopefully, um, if I was a defense attorney, uh, could raise a reasonable doubt. And uh, if I were a prosecutor, you know, show to the jury that this this person uh, was found guilty based on the standards. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, it was uh, just wonderful. <laughs> it, was a, it was a great uh, experience for me. Um, well, you you clearly uh, loved what you did. You can. You can hear it in your voice when you talk about uh, the scenarios in the courtroom. And uh, you evolved over a period of time having quite a distinguished career. Could you share with us how you went from being a lawyer to becoming a judge and some of the roles that you played as judge? Uh, sure. Uh, I enjoyed being an advocate for my clients, um, and the standard back there, back then, and I think it's changed a little bit, was a lawyer should zealously represent his or her uh, client. Uh, some lawyers in more recent years tended to be a little overzealous in representing their clients, and I think the, the state bar changed that standard uh, with the, from the word zealous to, to something else. But one, oh, again, over time, it wasn't an um, immediate event that, caused me to think, well, I've been representing uh, one side. I've been advocating for one uh, issue, one set of issues, and one outcome. Why not? Uh, wouldn't it be interesting and challenging and professionally rewarding to listen to both sides and then decide mm-hmm. uh, where the merits uh, result in a decision? And I thought back to the judges I had in front of me uh, as a new lawyer in federal court and then later in, in uh, the county uh, court. And um, I thought, well, there's some things I would rather not have had some judges do to me or to others in the courtroom, and those things I will try to remember and never do if I were to become <laughs> a judge. But there's some very good things that I learned from observe, observing judges decide cases in uh, the trials I was in, and I, I would like to emulate and, and be like those judges. Mm-hmm. So a long story short is that um, I applied to be a court commissioner with the county uh, superior court, and um, it took several several chances. In fact, I'll say, I don't mind saying, it took me a total of seven um, attempts to become a County Court Commissioner, which is essentially an associate judge that they have in other states. Here in Arizona, they are called uh, court commissioners. And yet it was a growing experience. Each time I came home and told my wife I didn't get selected, she said, don't worry, keep trying, it'll happen. So my wife, Monica, was a, a very tremendous source of support for me. And the crazy thing is, after... Um, uh, I had been a commissioner for three years. I applied to be a, a judge, which is a governor-appointed judge here in Arizona, and uh, went through the merit selection system in Maricopa County. Uh, thank goodness we don't have to um, run for election the first time out. The first time out, you are selected by the governor based on your merits and your background. And um, I 
got selected to be a judge on my third attempt as opposed to the first seven attempts I had when I was trying to become an associate judge, a court commissioner. And I look back at that and I think, well, that's maybe partly because I got to establish um, a bigger record for myself in terms of how I decided cases as an associate right, judge. Right. And people knew that I could be fair uh, and, and uh, do the work uh, as a um, trial court judge, as mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. government, governor-appointed judge. Well, what kept you focused, I mean, after uh, failing six times to go yeah. back that seventh time? Uh, basically just the desire that I knew I could do it, that if I got selected, if I was selected, I, I could do a good job. And um, uh, you know, my dad used to tell my brother and my sisters and me that um, you're just as good as anybody else. Right. And you don't need to um, uh, be uh, lorded over folks, but you have the talents that God has given you and, and right. use your talents and uh, you're, you just keep trying and, and persevere and um, things can happen. Yeah. And so they did. So perseverance certainly was uh, an important um, value to you to just keep on trying and knowing that uh, you had the, um, the ability to do what you were aspiring to do. So you had that, that, that confidence. Um, I mean, it's, it's amazing how many times people, when they try out to go do something and it, they fail it at once and then after failing once, they just kind of walk away and say, not meant to be. But, uh, Louie, you, you believed in yourself. That, that's yeah. basically it, right? Uh, that's, that's a large part of it. Yeah. Um, Sure. I mean, again, I'm not here to throw out cliches, but you know, yeah. life isn't about how many times you get knocked down. It's about how many times you get back up. Right. And uh, I strongly believe that. And um, there, there are good folks who help you along the way. Uh, and uh, I always thought that if I demonstrated that uh, I worked hard and um, did what I uh, enjoyed doing that people would recognize that and see me for who I was and uh, what I could do. So, uh, uh, yes, things, uh, things did work out uh, for me that way. And I, I truly did enjoy being a judge. I think it would, your last part of your last question, uh, David, was uh, the different aspects of being a judge. Right. And, right. Uh, in Maricopa County, you rotate as a judge from one calendar uh, of an area to another, which would be uh, civil, criminal, uh, family law, and juvenile law. Mm-hmm. And um, so over the course of my 20 years as a judge, I rotated onto each of those assignments uh, three, uh, two, at least t- twice, uh, sometimes three times, and uh, enjoyed, enjoyed all of the assignments. So it's, it's a good way for judges to uh, not, quote, get mired or or only do one area of, right, right. of the law, but to uh, move around and, and, and uh, become diverse in the other areas as well. Did How you, did you like that experience? Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, people say uh, that uh, family law, which used to be called divorce law, it's now called family law, is, of course, uh, couples and people going through one of the most trying difficult times of their marriage and their lives, uh, breaking up a relationship. And if they have children, it can be even worse. 
but I did enjoy trying to be as fair as I could to both sides mm-hmm. um, and trying to follow the standard that says the judge shall uh, decide on what is in the best interest of the children in deciding the contested um, uh, shared custody or visitation custody uh, arrangements that parents who go all their separate ways need to need to practice. And so um, the saying is uh, you see in family law uh, good people at their worst and in criminal law uh, bad people at their best. And there's a mm. certain truth to that. But at the same time, um, yeah, I enjoyed being able to try to help people resolve their problems and their issues. Uh, and again, that's why what's so great about our court system. Um, people, people can get on with their lives once they have a decision made. Yeah, did you have a favorite area of those? Uh, actually, uh, it, if I could weigh them all, I liked them all, but uh, juvenile law was something where I felt I could, quote, truly make a difference because mm-hmm. you uh, have both um, the, both of the two main parts of juvenile law, which is the juvenile delinquency proceedings, which is uh, young uh, people who commit uh, juvenile offenses, and then you have the uh, dependency part of juvenile court, which is uh, parents who uh, are either unable or unwilling uh, to properly care for their children. And that's why it used to be called CPS, Child Protective Services. It's now a different state uh, agency name, but why you have the state have to intervene to make sure children are safe and their basic needs are taken care of. And it, a judge needs to decide, well, parents, you've you've made some big mistakes in caring for your children. Here's a chance for you to gain your children back uh, by going through drug rehabilitation, by going through parenting classes. And when those cases succeeded, when parents were reunited with their children, that was extremely heartwarming and, and uh, rewarding for me to do. So uh, I, I enjoyed juvenile law for that reason. Well. That's nice. Well, thank you very much uh, for uh, sharing some of these uh, stories that you have around how you became a judge. We're going to take a break here, and we'll be right back. Okay. We'll be right back with Be, Dream, Do, Living by Design, right after this. Do you know that 85% of people hate their jobs? Yep, that's right. That's what last year's Gallup poll said after surveying millions of employees in 200 countries. Only 15% of those surveyed were truly passionate about the work they did. If you're one of the 85% who don't like their work, we invite you to join us in the Be, Dream, Do adventure in Pine, Arizona. It's happening April 14th and 15th. In the adventure, you will explore what is really most important to you, who you are and what you want to be known for, how to dream big, what actions you need to take for more information please call 1-866-875-3899 or follow us on facebook and on star worldwide networks every tuesday at 10 a.m arizona time now back to be dream do living by design with your host david So welcome back, listeners. Again, we have the esteemed Louis Araneta, and 
uh, a very um, a, uh, successful career that you've shared with us, and now you are retired. Now, at this point in time, looking back, what would you have done differently? Oh, that's a that's a challenging question. Um, I probably would say that if I had done something different, it would have been um, trying to reach out earlier to uh, a social network, if you will, of mm-hmm. um, of friends. Um, when I became a judge and uh, associate judge, court commissioner in 1990, uh, once you become a judge, it's it's quite isolating because you uh, are the local representative for our legal and, uh, and justice system. So judges can't actively campaign for a local candidate. They can't, uh, not that I would, but you can't go out and carouse at bars and things like that. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, a judge needs to serve as a, as a um, model for other people in the community. But that doesn't mean that as a judge you uh, cut yourself off from... Um, your friends and contacts, and I probably, if I could do something a little different, I would have made sure that I um, stayed in, in closer contact with uh, certain uh, friends and, and associates in the community because they themselves aren't quite sure how to approach you once you become a judge. Oh, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. Know, can't can't tell colorful jokes around you anymore, Louis, or things like that. Um, but. Actually, I, I realized that and recognized that a few years into being a judge. So a good friend of mine said, Louie, why don't you um, join the county bar association? Not the state bar. Everybody has to uh, join the state bar. It's a requirement for uh, being a practicing lawyer or judge. But uh, why not uh, join the county bar, a voluntary group of lawyers who put, who basically want to improve the legal uh, community through social work projects, through uh, continuing legal education, which the state bar does also, but uh, that are m- more fine-tuned to the local area of Phoenix or Scottsdale or Tempe, wherever uh, this a group of lawyers practices. And so I joined the County Bar Association and um, became a board member and uh, attended all the regular uh, weekly meetings and uh, monthly meetings, and then uh, ran for president and became president of that voluntary bar association and enjoyed that a great deal. I benefited more. I got more out of it than uh, uh, I put into it, maybe, but I like to think I put a lot into it by uh, making new friends and, and um, letting people know that as a judge, I wasn't unapproachable. I really could get involved in uh, 5k runs that we did to fundraise and different things like that would you uh would you go to different schools um not really uh you know you a young student chooses his or her uh educational path based on what comes their way and i was just fortunate to uh um go to high school and at a good uh college prep school and then uh to college at Stanford. Um, I really think that what makes someone progressive and successful in their life is what they do once they come out of school. Um, there are, uh, it may be a, a nice opening of the door to 
graduate from a, quote, prestigious school, be it Stanford or Harvard or Ivy League school. But the most important thing is um, to come out knowing that you want to do whatever your chosen career path is, that you are passionate about it, that you enjoy it. Because if you enjoy it, uh, chances are you'll be good at it. It doesn't mean you have to make money right away or, or eventually a lot of money, but it means that you're going to enjoy doing what you're doing. And overall, if you enjoy what you do, you tend to become better at it. And when you become better at it, people will seek you out and want to uh, interact and work with you. Definitely. And um, what other types of groups were you with? Um, with um, Within the legal area, um, I uh, would um, I joined the smaller group called the uh, Hispanic Lawyers Association when I was a new lawyer and a, a middle-aged lawyer. Um, it's called Los Abogados, and and it was not a, a exclusionary group. We had uh, non-Hispanic lawyers uh, as members too, but it was a way for uh, people who had come up like me, third-generation Hispanic Americans, largely who. Um, were in professions for the first time, and they, they, it was nice to kind of reconnect uh, with them. I remember uh, talking to a colleague who I'd been working with and known in the legal community for like 30 years, and one day we just sat down at lunch and started talking about our grandparents, which we never had. And it turned out uh, her grandparents had come over from northern Mexico after one of the Mexican revolutions in the right. early 1900s, just like my grandparents had um, come over in the early 1900s. So we just, well, we opened our eyes and said, wow, that's, that's really interesting, amazing. Lots of, um, lots of people we know, their grandparents happened to immigrate from Mexico around the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it was maybe history, uh, the uh, ebb and flow of history with uh, different revolutions that Mexico has had over the years. But uh, that, that was kind of neat. Well, your story is very inspirational. I'm curious, what advice would you have for our listeners, if any of the listeners are interested in, in, in establishing a career in law? Uh, it, it may sound general, but it, I think it's true. Um, you don't have to limit yourself if you want to choose to be a lawyer. Um, law school basically helps you to learn how to think critically, uh, how to uh, uh, decide uh, issues and resolve and uh, identify issues. I remember in first year law school, they deliberately, of course, give you uh, 30 page decisions uh, from a, a court case, and you say, Well, gosh, what, what, what am I going to do with this? And you really have to uh, cut through the shaft and, and focus on what's really important to decide the case within the 30 pages that this judge took to decide, uh, and then you realize, well, I'm analyzing this issue in this case based on these factors. Um, but to give advice to a, a person, uh, law can prepare you for business, it can prepare you for the courtroom like I pursued, it can pr- pr- uh, prepare you for um, uh, other types of government service. Uh, if you enjoy numbers and want to go into taxation, you can do that. Um, and you can, of course, uh, just apply your legal skills in areas outside the law, be it real estate, um, and be, be it, um, as I mentioned, uh, transactional work in, in, in business. So uh, 
several lawyer law students, uh, excuse me, law students, I, friends I made in law school, uh, decided you know not to practice law, but they uh, they benefited greatly from that legal training mm-hmm. uh, that they received. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that you've said several times is just how passionate you were about about making a difference, and you've talked about it as you know when you were going to school in Stanford and all the social changes that were taking place, the conversation you had with your mom and your, I'm sure your dad as well, uh, going back and, and helping out your family when your when your father had had the heart attack, and so it's always about trying to make a trying to make a difference and the role that passion played as a, as a driver as you were moving from one thing to another. Um, so uh, for our listeners, what you know, just how important is that role of passion in order for you to be successful in trying out again and again and again and again to you know to be uh, a judge and to play the different roles that uh, you later were able to to uh, to achieve. Um, it, it, well, it's extremely important. Uh, it's I think as you mentioned, it's the driving force. Um, we're all products of our environment and our upbringings, and uh, and each of us is unique and, and different. Uh, the um, the interest one person has may not be what another person has, but at the same time, um, if you're able to surround yourself yourself with a, a group of people who are your friends, who believe in you, who can see your talents, who uh, can uh, support you. Uh, that's uh, that's important. Uh, but find what you like, as I, I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Find what you like and, and pursue it, and and good things will happen. Um, that's that's the most important thing. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, you know, you shared with uh, before we went live on air. You shared with me just how happy you are in your. Uh, I happen to know because you are a fellow Kauanian that you are very involved in different things. But, but uh, share with us what 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 creates that happiness for you. What kinds of things are you doing that that are keeping you engaged and and, and happy, fulfilled in what you're doing? Okay, sure. Uh, it um, my wife Monica and I have uh, three grandchildren. Uh, our, our our grown-up daughters got the California bug and uh, went to college in California and, and stayed in California, met their husbands and married there, and now our, our uh, three grandkids are there. So we get to travel and see them. They're ages 4, 2, and 20 months. We get to see them, I'd say, on average once every two months, and it's a, a quick um, two-hour flight uh, from Phoenix to the San Francisco Bay Area where they live. And uh, it's so important to... Keep in touch with your grandkids and see them grow up, uh, especially in their formative years. Kind of going back to where I was when I was growing up in Tucson, um, my grandfather on my mom's side was a longtime Southern Pacific Railroad um, brakeman uh, who retired. And uh, he and my grandma, uh, Chonita, would come by and visit each of their daughters. My grandmother had 10 daughters. Um, and they averaged like five kids per per family, so they would go visit their 50-some grandkids uh, every week. And my grandfather took up barbering. He, he got himself a, some electric shears and scissors and would give each of his grandsons 
haircuts, buzz cuts. We we grew up with <laughs> those crazy buzz cuts and crew cuts as, as kids in the 50s and, and early 60s. Um, but it was so important to keep in, to have that contact with your grandparents and kind of just let it filter in as to who they were, what they did. Um, and I'm hoping my wife and I can do that now when we when we see our, our grandbabies and grandkids grow up. Uh, that's that's uh, invigorating and that's uh, good. As you get older, hopefully you get wiser. And uh, I truly enjoy the time I spend with my wife, morning cup of coffee. Right. Uh, she's now retired from being an educator uh, with, a, with the Chandler School District. And um, we can enjoy a cup of coffee with, instead of rushing off to work like we used to. And uh, we even will splurge and, and have an afternoon espresso and talk about, <laughs> talk about things uh, and make an espresso in our little espresso machine that we bought. Uh, so that's, that's valuable. It's, it's yeah. time to kind of reconnect with your spouse, your, mm-hmm. your, your, your partner for life on a higher, higher level with more um, time to spend. Right. And of course, we get to read our, all the books we want and travel up uh, to the northern country when it gets hot during the summer and, mm-hmm. and enjoy doing things like that. So I, we used to think, oh, what will we do with ourselves when we're retired? But we really uh, enjoy, uh, I enjoy Kiwanis. My wife enjoys the Temporary Sister Cities program where right, she's right. still very active. And, um, and we find things to, to truly uh, not just fill our day but invigorate our day. Well, it sounds like life has kind of come full circle. You're very much influenced by your parents, and uh, and now you want to play the role in, uh, to some extent that your parents did. And you're all about having an impact because you're playing an impactful role with your daughters and their families and, and of course, your grandchildren, and uh, you're enjoying life. So uh, that really is inspirational. And you're continuing to be involved in the community and reconnecting with your spouse. And really, at the end of the day, as they say, nothing's more important than family. And I personally want to congratulate you on, you know, your stellar achievements and the things that you continue to do as you live life to the fullest. Well, thank you, David. Uh, I, I appreciate your having me on your show, and I think you're, your theme of your show, Be, Dream, and Do, is, is really um, at the core. It hits the, ham- the nail on the head with uh, people focusing on where am I in my life and what do I want to do and how can I make things better for myself and my family. So I, pre- I appreciate that you bring that focus to your show. Well, Louis, thank you so much. Sean and I thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. And uh, I would like to invite our listeners to tune in next week And we're going to be having um, a guest speaker coming here, Neil Giuliano, who was uh, mayor of Tempe. I believe he served four terms, and he's currently uh, president and CEO of the leadership, the Greater Phoenix Leadership. So uh, stay tuned. Louis, thank you so much, and um, wishing you continued success. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining David and his guest. Make sure to catch Be, Dream, Do, Living by Design every week right here on StarWorldWideNetworks.com.